Hello, and welcome to the CBP podcast for the week of October 28th. I'm Dr. Deed Harrison, and I will be the host for this session. The topics of this session will include the 2007 International Whiplash Trauma Congress that was held last week in Miami, Florida, as well as the CBP Lumbar Rehabilitation Textbook. Before we begin this week's podcast, I'd like to give a special welcome to the CBP fellows who are listening and to anyone who has attended a CBP seminar and also for those of you who haven't yet made it to a seminar. Before we begin, we have a brief uh, break for our podcast sponsors. See you in a minute. This segment is brought to you by PostureCo, developers of the new X-ray digitizing software known as PostureRay. For more information on PostureRay, please browse to www.posturco.com. Welcome back. Our first topic for this podcast will be the 2007 International Whiplash Trauma Congress that was held October 26th and 27th in Miami, Florida. This Congress is put on by the Spinal Injury Foundation. You can go to their website at www.spinalinjuryfoundation.org. The the, um, Congress sponsors are Dr. Michael Freeman, who's a chiropractor and an epidemiologist in Oregon, as well as Dr. Christopher Centeno, who is a medical director and co-chair of the International Whiplash Trauma Congress and his practices in Colorado. This year, the the Congress theme was post-traumatic headaches, and I was invited by Dr. Freeman and Dr. Centeno to present on behalf of CBP seminars and discuss topics related to structural rehabilitation procedures that CBP employs in cases with post-traumatic headaches that may be suffering these conditions partly due to abnormal postures of the cervical spine and abnormal curvatures of the cervical lordosis. To this end, I gave two lectures or presentations at this year's Congress and my first lecture was a 40-minute presentation which reviewed the literature on post-traumatic headaches and then reviewed the literature linking cervical curves and head postures to potential post-traumatic headaches such as cervicogenic headaches, migraine headaches, and tension-type headaches. The second talk I actually gave on behalf of a CBP certified fellow in Portland, Oregon, whose name is Dr. Michael Underhill. Dr. Michael Underhill submitted a case report out of his office where he treated an adolescent male suffering from chronic post-traumatic whiplash-associated disorders, including headaches. However, Dr. Underhill was unable to make the, the Congress due to a conflicting schedule, so I presented on his behalf. And it was uh, quite easy for me because uh, Dr. Michael Underhill and I are writing his case study up for submission for possible publication in a peer-reviewed journal. What I'd like to do with you to begin is present some, what I think is clinically relevant information that the practicing chiropractor needs to be aware of regarding post-traumatic headaches. First of all, post-traumatic headaches are perhaps one of the most common symptoms reported by patients who have been exposed to a motor vehicle collision. In the literature, an estimated prevalence of post-traumatic headache sufferers after a car crash is 30 to 90 percent. And that data comes from uh, Evans et al. in neurological clinics in 2004, volume 22, number 1, as well as Schrader et al. in the European Journal of Neurology in 2006, volume 13, page 1226 through 1232. 
what we see is that after a crash, individual persons actually have a reduced pressure pain threshold in the cervical spine and the head region. Therefore, we get the idea that perhaps the crash has injured some of the cervical structures, including the cervical facet joints, the cervical disc, perhaps the alar ligaments, or the anterior longitudinal ligaments. These structures have all been indicated or implicated in post-traumatic headaches because of their convergence of sensory input of these structures within the spinal nucleus of the trigeminal nerve. So it's quite common for a person after exposure to a motor vehicle collision to experience post-traumatic headaches and a variety of cervical structures can be injured leading to the presence of headache and leading to a reduced pressure pain threshold in the cervical spine and the head region. Now, this information is important for chiropractors to understand because, yes, indeed, we do treat individuals after crashes, and we have to be aware that these individuals are likely to be suffering headaches. Before we start to think chiropractically, however, we, we must rule out more serious injuries, which may also cause headaches. One, one of the, the things that is leaked, linked to post-traumatic headaches, in addition to cervical spine tissues injur injuries, is injury to the spinal cord itself, such that we get a leaking of the cerebral spinal fluid and a decrease in the cerebral spinal fluid pressure, such that the patient starts to experience orthostatic type of headaches. Now, these headaches can actually mimic traditional cervicogenic and tension type headaches as well as migraine headaches without aura. However, we see that they are positional or postural in nature. And when you have this type of appearance, oftentimes a chiropractor may forget that these, this type of injury can mimic a condition from the cervical spine. And we, we actually need to refer these people out uh, for medical evaluation. We need to have uh, some, uh, perhaps some blood work done. We need to have uh, a uh, magnetic resonance imaging test. And we need to look for uh, potential problems with leakage of the CSF fluid. So now back to uh, the, the actual neck injuries. It's pretty common for these headache sufferers to have kinematic abnormalities in the cervical spine. And chiropractors are, are quite trained in analyzing and diagnosing the kinematic problems in the cervical spine. What we see is the typical post-traumatic headache sufferer after a, a motor vehicle collision has a reduced range of motion for the cervical spine rotations in terms of their gross range of motion. So when we test lateral flexion, flexion extension, or y-axis rotation about gravity, we'll see a reduction in the overall range of motion. And several studies in the literature have shown this. For example, a study that was published in Spine in 2001, volume 26, number 19, page 20. 90 through 2094 has shown that cervical range of motion can discriminate between asymptomatic persons and those with whiplash. Also what we find is that in addition to an abnormal reduced gross range of motion we see that there's an altered segmental movement pattern in the cervical spine. Now, oftentimes chiropractors may not routinely take flexion extension films and analyze the kinematics of the cervical spine, but this is absolutely something that we should be doing. In addition to the end range of motion analysis that we see on flexion extension, we may actually want to use things like digital motion uh, techniques such as DMX. Uh, and if you... Um, are familiar with the technology DMX was designed and created and is sold by Dr. John Pol Polstowaite out of Florida. Uh, it's great technology and we can look at the qualitative kinematics of the cervical spine and we can see if there are joints that are immobile, if there are joints that are 
hypermobile, and we can see if there is true instability. And again, several studies in, in the literature have shown that uh, segmental kinematics are very important in terms of the, uh, the discrimination between uh, crash victims and asymptomatic persons. So I, I don't think that's anything new for the average chiropractor. But what, what I do think is uh, of interest is that oftentimes we overlook the postural or structural problems that are present in these uh, patients as well. So chiropractors were trained to analyze range of motion and were trained to analyze the segmental kinematics, although some of us may not do that in every case, we should, but we're not trained to necessarily look at the posture of the cervical region in detail, and we're not necessarily trained to, to look at the cervical lordosis in enough detail. Well, recent studies in the literature have also come out and said that, hey, after a motor vehicle collision in these uh, individuals suffering from uh, chronic whiplash-associated disorders, including post-traumatic headaches, we, we find an abnormal uh, postural alignment. In Spine, in 1997, volume 22, page 865 through 868, Luden et al. studied a group of normal subjects and a group of, of patients with chronic whiplash-associated disorders. And they showed that, on average, the patients with the chronic pain from whiplash, these patients had an abnormal starting position for their skull relative to their thorax. And they used the CROM uh, equipment to quantify this and verify this. It was typical for the uh, chronic whiplash subject to have either an abnormal lateral flexion or an abnormal y-axis rotation of their skull relative to their thorax. And this was a statistically significant difference between the two groups. More recently, in 2005, in the journal Advances in Physiotherapy, volume 7, page 13 through 19, Nielsen et al. studied forward head posture in a group with chronic whiplash-associated disorders compared to control subjects. They tested the posture seated, and they showed that in the seated posture, the ear, the tragus, relative to the upper back, or the C7-T1 spinous, the angle that those two make were statistically greater in the whiplash group compared to the control group, such that the whiplash group had statistically significant forward head postures. And Nielsen et al. suggested that this postural abnormality was correlated to the chronic pain. Now, they didn't do treatment in these, these subjects, so there's no way of knowing whether or not correction of the posture in, in, improved the chronic uh, whiplash-associated dis disorders. However, they did find a statistically significant difference in the alignment of the posture in the sagittal plane between the two groups. Now, this is no different than in the non-post-traumatic headache population that we see in the literature. For example, in 1993 in the journal Cephalgia, Watson and Trott performed a study looking at headache subjects compared to control subjects in terms of can forward head posture discriminate between the groups? And Watson and Trott actually found that, yes, the subjects with chronic headaches had statistically significant increases in their forward head posture. Also of interest, they showed that the subjects with forward head posture had a decrease in their cervical flexor muscle endurance and a, reduce, a reduction in their isometric muscle strength compared to the control subjects. And they suggested that that may be due to the forward head posture. Now, this is important because studies in the literature on whiplash subjects that have post-traumatic headaches have also found a decrease in cervical muscle endurance and a decrease in cervical isometric muscle strength. So it appears that there's a correlation between alignment and function. And, of course, chiropractors, we should know that because hopefully we adhere to the paradigm that the structure of the spine dictates the function of the spine. In other words, subluxation is associated with nerve interference. Now to continue, in non-trauma 
headache sufferers. Uh, a very nice study came out by Fernandez et al. out of the journal Cephalgia in 2006, volume 26, number 3, page 314. Fernandez, Fernandez et al. built on previous studies showing that forward head posture is increased in chronic headache subjects. However, they, they added range of motion and they added headache frequency and intensity to the equation. And compared to matched healthy controls, subjects with tension type headaches had statistically significant increases in their forward head posture. But they also found that there was a linear correlation between forward head posture and cervical spine range of motion, such that the greater the forward head posture, the greater the reduction in range of motion. Now this is important because the studies in the literature link loss of range of motion of the cervical spine to the presence of post-traumatic headaches as I discussed earlier. So now for the first time in 2006 in the Fernandez study we're seeing that the functional range of motion may be reduced because we have this structural problem of forward head posture. Also Fernandez et al. found that as forward head posture increased the headache frequency increased. So the greater the forward head posture the more headaches that you had each week. So th this is an important study. What we find out on average is that the post-traumatic headache sufferer on average is very similar to the non-post-traumatic headache sufferer in the population. In other words, the, the two appear similar in their etiology. We have a cervical spine origin. Now this doesn't mean that the crash didn't cause the headaches or increase the headaches. It simply means that post-traumatic headaches are very similar to the non-post-traumatic headache sufferer. And likely we know this, that the non-traumatic headache sufferer likely had trauma in the past they just don't remember. Maybe it wasn't a car accident, but it was a fall or you know some kind of injury to the head and neck. Now I'd like to um, now talk about the cervical lordosis. In chronic headache sufferers, what we find out in the post-traumatic literature is we find out that these, these, these subjects actually have an abnormal sagittal cervical curve such that they either have a straight neck, a kyphotic neck, an S-curve with reversal down low, or an S-curve with reversal down, or reversal in the upper cervical spine. So we see an abnormal cervical curve in this group of uh, headache sufferers as well as an increase in the forward head posture. And studies in the literature have shown this. For example, Norris and Watt in 1983, study in whiplash-associated disorders subjects, including post-traumatic headaches, they found that in the group that was more severely injured and had more positive exam findings, there was a, a greater occurrence of abnormal neck curves. Also, as, as recent as 2002, in the journal Emergency Radiology, Volume 9, page 249 through 253, it's been shown that abnormal curves are linked to chronic whiplash-associated disorders compared to a control group. As an example of this, there, there was a very nice study that was done in the journal Trauma in 1975. This was published by Broff et al., 1975, the Journal of Trauma, volume 15, page 441 through 446. Now, unlike the other studies, uh, the Broff study is, is not what we call a case control study where we have an injured group compared to uh, control subjects, uh, like I was discussing just, just previously at, from Norris and Watt and uh, some other papers have done the same thing. But the Broff paper is nice because it's, it's a survey of over 6,000 cases of chronic headaches. And there's a couple conclusions from them that I, I would like to just read to you. And this is, these are quotes right out of uh, the uh, Broff et al. paper. They say, Trauma may be so slight or so far in the past that its causal relationship is either forgotten or thought by the patient to be of no importance. It's not unusual for headaches to be delayed for days, months, or years after the initial injury. And they go on to say that 
the uh, motor vehicle crash collisions are one of the most common injuries that was reported in their survey of 6,000 subjects. Their main finding is this, complete or segmental loss or reversal of the normal lordotic curve of the cervical spine is the most consistent characteristic feature and very often is the only abnormal, abnormality found in these post-traumatic headache sufferers. So we, we see that the cervical curve plays a strong role in post-traumatic headaches. Now this is no different than in the non-trauma headache population. For example, out of the journal Headache in 1993, a nice paper, volume 13, or excuse me, volume 33, page 90 through 95, was presented where they compared 372 patients with tension type headaches to 225 match control subjects. This paper found that there were statistically significant differences in the cervical curve and the postural alignment of the cervical spine and shoulders such that the headache subjects had a straightened cervical curve and low set or rounded shoulders and that actually the cervical curve was found to be straightened more often with age in the headache group compared to the non-headache group. So we, we see that the loss of the curve is related to non-traumatic headaches as well. So just to review, this, this information is of interest to, I think, the chiropractic clinician that's treating post-traumatic headaches from rear-end car crash collisions or from other types of car collisions. What we find out is the post-traumatic headaches are very common. Diagnostically, these are similar to headaches in the general population where cervicogenic headaches, tension-type headaches, and migraine, migraine headaches without aura are the most common type of headache. The typical chronic post-motor vehicle collision headache has a reduction in the range of motion of their cervical spine, an altered segmental kinematic movement in the cervical vertebra, they have an abnormal reduced isometric muscle strength and endurance and they have an increase in their forward head posture and these these findings are consistent with non-trauma headaches headache subjects as well just to review lastly the typical chronic post-traumatic headache sufferer has an abnormal cervical curve either an S-curve a cervical kyphosis or a straight neck and this is a, a consistent finding that is present in non-trauma headache sufferers as well. So when we see this in the literature, we get the idea that in addition to segmental joint adjusting and functional rehabilitation type procedures that are quite common in the treatment of post-traumatic headache sufferers and just whiplash injuries in general, we should act actively be pursuing these structural rehabilitation type procedures that are commonly used in CBP technique. These include postural adjusting, postural exercises, and traction procedures to rehabilitate the cervical curve. Now, if you've been to a CBP seminar before, we call these mirror image procedures. Mirror image means we put the person's body part or joint region into its opposite position and then we apply a force either an adjustment an exercise or traction and what I did in my lecture is I went through some of the CBP clinical trials that we've done even though these were not on post-traumatic headache sufferers I went through the literature and showed them how in CBP technique these structural rehabilitation procedures exercises adjustments and traction we, we are able to use these procedures to rehabilitate the cervical spine posture and the cervical lordosis. Now, what I'd like to do is, is slightly change the topic and discuss the case presentation that was uh, originally presented by Dr. Mike Underhill, who couldn't make it to the conference, so I presented on, on his behalf since I was a co-author. Now, it's quite nice because this uh, presentation led into, or my presentation, my 40-minute talk that I just summarized for you, led into my case presentation with Dr. Michael Underhill. Now, be before I present the Underhill case, I, I need to take a break for podcast sponsors. So 
Hang in there. We'll be right back. If you're an advertiser that would like to reach out to 67,000 chiropractors, you can by advertising in the American Journal of Clinical Chiropractic, known as the AJCC. For more information, just email us at webmaster at idealspine.com. Hello and welcome back. Um, We ended with the beginning of Dr. Michael Underhill's presentation at the Whiplash Trauma Congress. Now, Dr. Michael Underhill presented this recently at the 2007 CBP Annual Seminar that was held in August in Park City, Utah. And if you've been uh, following the new topics in the American Journal of Clinical Chiropractic, and you've been looking at the CBP website, idealspine.com, you should have uh, been aware that we're doing some new certification for our advanced certification program for CBP technique. And instead of a test, at the end of the advanced seminar series, we decided to have a case presentation by the doctor where a case is uh, presented out of his or her own practice where you took that case and you analyzed and treated them with CBP technique methods. And then you uh, present that case showing the history, the the treatment, and then the outcomes of that case. Now, Dr. Michael Underhill did a wonderful job and um, certainly passed his advanced certification test, but uh, he took it a step further. It was such a great case that we wanted to uh, try try to see if a, a peer-reviewed journal would be interested in this. And then also, I thought, well, th- this is a great case to present at this International Whiplash Trauma Congress because of the fact that the case had post, post-traumatic headaches, and that was the theme of the, the Congress. So I would like to just briefly summarize Dr. Underhill's case here that uh, I presented at the uh, Whiplash Trauma Congress. What, what happened is a, a 13-year-old uh, adolescent boy uh, came to Dr. Underhill's office, and he came to Dr. Underhill approximately one year after a motor vehicle collision where he was riding in a minivan and was rear-ended without any warning by a full-size pickup truck. Um, I don't necessarily know the the crash characteristics in terms of the speed of the crash, etc., but I do know it was a rear-end collision and uh, it was done by a full-size pickup truck. Uh, The the 13-year-old started having headaches later that day immediately after the accident and then neck pain and dizziness developed over the following two weeks following the crash. Now, the parents originally took him to a colleague of Dr. Michael Underhill, who is a chiropractor, and this chiropractor uses uh, a uh, cranial sacral type of technique as well as diversified spinal adjusting techniques. Now, the interesting part of this case is not to condemn other techniques. It's to show that if you don't correct the actual structural subluxation, then you may not get the desired outcomes of reduced pain and disability. So originally this adolescent male was treated using traditional chiropractic techniques following the crash. And the original pain intensity was a 7 out of 10. There were muscle spasms and tenderness. And the, the the patient reported temporary relief using these methods. However, following approximately three months of chiropractic care, where the patient was released from the traditional chiropractic type of, of treatment, uh, the patient was released as MMI, well, the patient began suffering the headaches and, and neck pain and dizziness again. And so... Over the course of the the next several months, he didn't have chiropractic treatment, but he he basically self-medicated with non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And we all know uh, how wonderful those are at uh, curing uh, headaches and and at uh, assisting your GI tract uh, function. And, of course, I'm I'm kidding there. Um, Following this, uh, the child and the child's parents decided, well, this isn't working. So at one year post accident, the patient 
actually sought care from Dr. Michael Underhill. So the patient presented one year after the motor vehicle collision to Dr. Michael Underhill and complained of uh, the same uh, pains as before, uh, chronic headaches, dizziness, and neck pain. The numerical rating scale was exactly the same. It was a 7 out of 10, and Dr. Michael Underhill keeps good records, and he found a neck disability index of 37.5%, which is significant impairment and disability from these pains. He also does range of motion and algometry, and he found a reduced uh, cervical range of motion, predominantly in lateral bending, and a reduced pressure pain threshold, like we talked about in the previous session. Now, the interesting thing here is that originally, after the crash, x-rays were taken, and the, the child had a cervical kyphosis. And then one year later, x-rays were taken, and the child still had a cervical kyphosis. It was a few degrees better than the original post-crash x-ray, but it was still kyphotic. Receive regular CBP research updates as well as seminar happenings and other chiropractic news by subscribing now to the CBP email newsletter right on the homepage at www.idealspine.com. Also of interest is that Dr. Michael Underhill actually takes x-rays for his colleagues and both lateral cervical x-rays, the right after the accident and the one-year follow-up were taken by Dr. Underhill in his x-ray department in his clinic. So we see that the same procedures were followed such that there's no way an operator error or x-ray positioning issue would come into play. And and I've looked at the x-rays and you can see that there's no artificial x-ray positioning going on, the hard palates level. And, And so we see that this is an abnormal cervical curve that is now stable after the crash. So in Michael Underhill's professional opinion, he thought that the abnormal cervical curve and a a subtle forward head posture was perhaps part of the cause of the adolescent's chronic uh, pain and impairments after the crash. So Dr. Underhill began, began a CBP cervical spine rehabilitation program, including mirror image drop table adjustments for the cervical spine posture in the forward head posture, and also mirror image handheld instrument adjustments using an upper cervical type of instrument instead of the drop table. The patient also performed mirror image exercises using the posture pulley. And the posture pulley is a very nice, user-friendly, simple, uh, elastic resistance uh, type bungee cord where uh, a nice neoprene band goes around the posterior part of the skull and the patient holds on to some resistive handles and then you pull against your hands against the bungee cord resistance into the mirror image. Now, the patient worked up to five sets of 10 repetitions, so 50 repetitions, holding each repetition 10 seconds. And he was instructed to do this uh, one time per day. Also, the patient performed extension compression two-way type traction in the seated position. Now, if you don't know what that is, you, you uh, number one, you should buy the cervical spine rehabilitation textbook that CBP has available, and you should attend our cervical spine re- rehabilitation seminar where these techniques are, are taught in detail, as well as the evidence behind them. Uh, the patient was able to work up to eight pounds of weight on the back of the head in this traction and was able to do 15 to 20 minutes per session that he was treated. Now, the the frequency and duration of care was not optimum in this adolescent uh, because this was summertime and the, the child was involved in sports and obviously the, the parents and he had some other priorities. Um, so the course of care was actually longer than typical in CBP offices. It was 16 weeks with an average of three times per week, but that included home care. In reality, the boy only made 20 in-office sessions in 16 weeks, which is just slightly over one session per week, and really it's 1.25 sessions per week. After these 20 in-office sessions, a follow-up examination was performed, including an x-ray, and 
a very nice correction in the cervical kyphosis was made and a reduction in the anterior head translation. The boy's cervical curve was returned to within normal limits and it was nearly a circular shape, which is what our CBP model is. Following this, the, the child was released on supportive care, not maximum medical improvement, but was recommended that uh, he receive supportive care. Now, Dr. Underhill recommended that he receive one time per month for the course of six six months to one year, and the child actually made five sessions in 11 months, so not much home care or not much in-office care, and also the uh, child admitted to doing really no home care. A year-long follow-up x-ray was performed, and this is actually two years after the crash, one year after Dr. Underhill's treatment, and a mild um, decrease in the cervical lordosis was noted with a mild increase in the forward head posture. In other words, the child's neck curve started to kind of go back to where it was before, but it was only a mild loss, to, you know, several degrees. It certainly wasn't uh, straight, and it wasn't kyphotic like it was before. Now, in addition to the structural findings, some very nice functional changes were found. The, the adolescent boy had an improvement in range of motion, verified using dual inclinometry. The child had improvement in the pressure pain thresholds, verified by follow-up algometry. And then the pain and disability scale showed very, very significant improvement. Initially, he was a 7 out of 10 on the numerical rating scale. And after the first course of, of uh, rehabilitation, he was a 0 out of 10. And then Dr. Underhill released him to supportive care, and he came back 11 months later with a 1.5 out of 10. So still much better than, than when he began the CBP rehab and much better than immediately after the crash. The neck disability index went from a 37.5% down to a 0% after the program of care, and then to a 6% at 11-month follow-up. Now, this case is very interesting in that it, it shows that previous chiropractic, although temporarily successful at relieving the pains and impairments, did not really significantly impact this child's health. And so once we began, I say we, but Dr. Underhill began a corrective care program using CBP technique procedures that restored the cervical curve and reduced the forward head posture, the child's pains and impairments improved. And these improvements were mostly maintained at 11-month follow-up. And I say mostly maintained, the boy lost a little bit of the curve and went from a 0 to a 1.5 out of 10 on the NRS and then to a 6% on the neck disability index. But that's certainly much better than where he started. Uh, this case shows that, in my opinion, unless you correct the cervical curve abnormality, I don't think you're going to get adequate relief and adequate improvement in function in these chronic cases. It also suggests that perhaps a more aggressive type of supportive care is needed. So that, that was uh, Dr. Underhill's case, and that was um, actually very well received at the Congress. Some very, very pointed questions that, uh, although some of them were challenging, they were very related to the uh, uh, presentation at hand, and overall it was a great experience. Uh, I need to pause now before we continue for a podcast sponsor break. So we'll see you in a minute. Obtain all CPP research from 1993 through 2007 by browsing to our web store at idealspine.biz. This tax-deductible donation will supply you with a CPP research CD with a compilation of all PDF articles. You may use these articles to educate your local medical doctors and also validate your care. For more information, browse to our web store, www.idealspine.biz. Welcome back. Now, that summarizes the CBP presentations that were made at the 2007 International Whiplash Trauma Congress. However, I, I would just briefly like to inform you that there were many other presentations there that were very exciting, very informative. And these were made by not only chiropractors, but medical doctors, uh, physical therapists, and people just generally involved in the epidemiology 
of whiplash-associated disorders. And in, in fact, also biomechanists were there. And the majority of these speakers are really the leading authorities involved in investigating whiplash crash injuries, the biomechanics, the, the pain outcomes, and basically the psychosocial impairments and you know disabilities that are associated with whiplash in general. So this is really a congress that would be interesting for all chiropractors to attend, especially ones that have a focus in whiplash-associated disorders and their me mechanisms of injuries and treatment. Uh, briefly, I would just like to acknowledge some of my chiropractic colleagues that presented there. Dr. Chris Coloca of uh, Neuromechanical Innovations gave a, a very, very exciting presentation on neurological mechanisms and how the adjustment can influence uh, neurological function. And I'm sure many of you know who Dr. Chris Coloca is and, and uh, have, have heard him present before. Also, Dr. Brian Gatterman, who is a chiropractic radiologist as well as a chiropractor at Life Chiropractic College West, my alma mater, gave a very nice present, case presentation of a case that uh, he saw at the Life West Chiropractic Clinic. And this was a chronic uh, whiplash injury case suffering from chronic cervicogenic symptoms, including headaches. And there was some damage to the upper cervical spine ligaments, specifically the alar ligaments in this case. And uh, Dr. Brian Gatterman did a very nice investigation, including stress films, digital motion x-ray, so the DMX, as well as MRI, to establish that, yes, indeed, the ALR ligaments were injured in this patient. So there were some very exciting presentations given at this 2007 Whiplash uh, Congress, and I, I would recommend that uh, any chiropractor interested in these types of disorders and whiplash injuries in general would uh, consider going to the, the Congress next year. Again, their website is www.spinalinjuryfoundation.org. And I believe the proceedings from the Congress, which means the presentations, are going to be made available uh, on PowerPoint with audio uh, through this website. So you, you may actually consider uh, uh, picking one of these up through that website. Uh, now what I'd like to do is, is take a, a, a brief break, and I'd like to discuss the last topic of the podcast with you, and that's the Lumbar Spine Rehabilitation Textbook. So we'll see you in a minute. This podcast is brought to you by Posture Code, developers of the Posture Screen and Posture Ray software suites. For more information, browse to www.posturecode.com. Welcome back. For the last part of this CBP podcast, I'd like to introduce the new CBP Structural Rehabilitation of the Lumbar Spine textbook to you. Now, for those of you that have been with CBP technique for a while, you know that this lumbar book has been in the process for several years, and it's finally done. It's uh, It was complete in August of 2007. It just took us a lot of time to finalize the content of the book and the layout of the book, but I can, I can tell you without a doubt, it is one of the best, if not the best, textbook that CBP has produced. And I think that I speak for all the co-authors when I state that it's perhaps all of our best work culminated into one textbook. And my co-authors are my father, Dr. Donald Harrison, Dr. Joe Betts of Boise, Idaho, Dr. Jason Haas of Windsor, California, or Colorado, Dr. Paul Oakley of Canada, and Dr. Donald Meyer of California. We all collaborated and contributed to this textbook, and without a doubt, I think it represents the culmination of, of my life's work in terms of CVP treatment of the thoracolumbar pelvic region. And I know you won't be disappointed if you uh, go ahead and pick up this book through CVP seminars. In upcoming podcasts, what I'd like to do is present each 
chapter in terms of an overview of that chapter for one individual podcast. Here, what I'd like to do is, is simply introduce the lumbar chapters to you that we'll be covering in the fu- future. The first chapter is lumbar spine disorders and the role of CBP structural rehabilitation procedures and the role of ergonomics. Great chapter, great literature review, sets the stage for the rest of the book. Chapter 2 is thoracolumbar pelvic postural analysis and procedures for anal- analysis of the posture. And for you, those of you that, are, that know, we use a three-dimensional uh, postural digitizer where we take two-dimensional photographs, but we can reconstruct a three-dimensional representation of the displacements of the patient's head, ribcage, and pelvis. The posture print quantifies rotations and translations of the head, ribcage, and pelvis. So chapter 2 teaches the CBP postural analysis. Chapter 3 is x-ray analysis of the thoracolumbar pelvic spine and x-ray coupling patterns of the spine, lumbar spine, and pelvis for thoracic and pelvic postures. So it shows you what the postures presented in chapter 2 actually do to the spine. And it also teaches you our x-ray analysis. Chapter 4 is a great review of the literature and treatment innervation ideas for the anatomical short leg. We teach you x-ray procedures and how, how to measure and take, well first how to take the x-ray appropriately, how to check for anomalies, and then how to appropriately assess for a shoe lift intervention. It's, it's a great chapter. Chapter 5 is the lumbar lordosis, and we review the evidence and clinical relevance for a normal lumbar lordosis. And for the first time, we present some information out of our advanced seminar that we do in CBP that a certain pelvic anatomical variant can influence the shape of the lumbar lordosis and the magnitude of the lumbar lordosis. So that that's an exciting chapter. It's a must for anybody who's interested in rehabilitation procedures for the lumbar curve. Chapter 6 presents the CBP mirror image exercise approach to thoracolumbar pelvic disorders. And we review the literature to establish guidelines for frequency and duration, and then we present the CBP uh, treatment approaches. Chapter 7 is dynamic methods of thoracolumbar pelvic correction. And this chapter was exclusively written by Dr. Donald Meyer, and he presents information on upright body weighting and proprioceptive procedures for changing thoracolumbar postural displacements and also presents uh, a new idea on lumbar traction that it should be done not in a completely static manner but perhaps a somewhat dynamic manner and I'll reserve that for later podcast. Chapter 8 was written largely by my, my father and Dr. Joe Betts. It's a historical and contemporary review of the literature on the uses of lumbar spine traction. And most people think of, of traction as distraction or long axis traction for like disc injuries and stenosis. But of course, if you've uh, been involved with CBP technique, you realize that we use traction for any displacement that occurs in the spine and posture. Thus, we don't just do it on one axis, we do it on multiple axes. Chapter 9 actually presents the CBP mirror image thoracolumbar pelvic traction procedures. We, we go through 17 categories of lumbar spine displacements that require traction procedures and then how we go about those procedures, like the exact application and the, the time frames involved and, and what we're looking for, how we fit a patient to traction. So that's a very good uh, and exciting chapter, I think. Uh, chapter 10 was predominantly written by Dr. Joe Betts. It's a uh, clinical epidemiology chapter of thoracolumbar scoliosis. Very, very good literature review with an emphasis on clinically relevant findings. And then chapter 11 
was or is the CBP approach to assessment and management of thoracolumbar scoliosis. When we talk about our unique mirror image procedures and the analysis of thoracolumbar scoliosis. And then the last chapter is the CBP treatment protocols, frequency and duration, and supportive or maintenance care, including case presentations. Uh, that that really adequately, I think, summarizes the content of, of the book. Um, our new seminar, the Lumbar Spine Rehabilitation Seminar, has recently been updated just a, a few weeks ago to be consistent with the new textbook. So if, if you haven't been to the Lumbar Rehab Seminar in a while, you should consider coming, as well as all the seminars. We uh, actually just recently updated all of the seminars within the last year, and we continue to do, to do that. Uh, over time, usually every couple of years, we kind of re- redo the content of the CBP seminars. So in upcoming podcasts, what I will do is I, I will take each chapter of the Lumbar Rehab book and I'll present the, the most pertinent information to you uh, so you get a thorough understanding of, of the relevance of, of this book for uh, structural rehabilitation type chiropractors and really CBP technique in general. So thanks for listening this week, and uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to the CBP Podcast Series. My name is Dr. Joe Farantelli, and before I close, I just wanted to update uh, all of you that I've placed some uh, video clips on the new X-ray digitizing software known as PostureRay on the PostureCo website. You can also find those on YouTube as well. Uh, many of you have uh, these these questions about how to use the software and whether or not you have to use digital uh, systems or how to obtain the X-rays. So. I made a couple sample clips that will definitely answer your questions, so be sure to browse to www.postraco.com. Thanks, and see you next time.